Jeff Schlemmer, Bob Metz, in the studio with us today, in the house. As the young, do the young people still say that? Does anybody know? Like do you kids still say that in the house? You say that? Yeah, they do. Okay, yeah, they do. Yeah. Uh, welcome, guys. Left, right, and center. Uh, I want to start today very quickly by, uh, I just want to acknowledge that Chuck Gite apparently is going to jail. He was convicted on the charges uh, relative to the Quebec uh, ad scam uh, uh, scandal. Um, any thoughts, either one of you, on that? Is this expected normal? Uh, does the word scapegoat slip into anybody's mind at all, or just what do you make of this? Jeff? Well, I guess uh, I, I haven't followed the case closely, so I don't really know anything about sort of the the, the nitty-gritty of it, but as far as the idea that, that people should go to jail for uh, for the sponsorship scandal, well, certainly they should, and I don't think he's the first one. No, he's not. Uh, and, uh, you know, I guess there are no politicians heading off to jail, but uh, I believe he was a fairly senior bureaucrat at the time, so that's something at least. Bob? Yeah, I really don't know that much about the details of it, and I don't know if it's going to be the end of it, but uh, what can you really say about justice being served? Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess the question... Do I think he's a scapegoat? Is that what you're saying? Well, the question question in many people's minds, I think, this morning, at least was in mine, is justice being served? I know this is not over yet, but as Jeff pointed out, no politician has, uh, has been bitten on this yet, and that strikes me as a tiny bit strange, however... Well, I was unaware that any direct politician was even implicated in anything, quote, illegal well, in terms of the activities themselves, let me put, though they might have been the beneficiary let of, me put, the, of the activity. I want to put quotes around yeah. uh, implicated, too, uh, quotes around that okay. as well. Well, but. until they have evidence, I can't really Good speak point. to it. No, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Jeff's the lawyer. He's the one that usually takes the, uh, the legal exception. To <laughs> well, and I guess the you know the question would be where did he get the idea to do the stuff he did? You know, was it something he came up with on his own, or is it something that somebody told him he ought to do? And I think his evidence was that uh, he was told he ought to do these things. And I can't recall if this is, was the um, going back to the, ref, uh, the referendum and uh, the Liberals did all kinds of advertising in Quebec and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I believe that Guite talked about how it was kind of an emergency and that they had to sort of um, do all kinds of things quickly and they didn't have time to go through normal, yes. normal tendering procedures and all yeah. that stuff. And he says that it's hard now and with 2020 hindsight to look back and see at a time when they genuinely thought that the country could be at risk and they did all kinds of things that, uh, in retrospect, uh, were not uh, were not cost-effective. They, they paid way more than they should have paid. They paid in some cases where they didn't get anything. But he says it was just a mess flying around and it was like the fog of war. Um, but again, I, I would be very surprised if it was his idea to do all this, that it would seem to me that he got the idea from politicians who said to him, look, we're in a crisis here. We've got to go out and... Uh, throw caution to the wind and do all kinds of, of uh, unusual things. Uh, well, that's where the real scandal is, I think. And unfortunately, there's no accountability in politics for that kind of thing. You can throw away billions in a Hudak thing or in a you know, gun registry, which is purely, it's got to be complete fraud from top there's to bottom. Great, there's a great article in McLean's this week, or last week, I guess now, about the uh, extent of, of the, the wasting of public monies. It's just astounding. It's well, still astounding. You know, I don't know why that should be surprising anyone. The purpose was a waste. I mean, to actually say that that's what you're going to try and do, do-do-do-do, like, put your thinking hat on <laughs> for a minute, of, eh? The other side that frustrates <laughs> me is that, uh, unfortunately, these kinds of things usually, in my experience, end up adding to the bureaucracy, because what happens is that the next guy to come along says, we're going to make darn sure this could never happen again, and if it does, I'm going to have ten times ten types of paperwork to show yeah. it wasn't my fault and everything yeah. else, and if you want to... I remember when they had the... Um, oh, what was it? The, there was funding available for um, social programs back in the mid to late 90s, uh, and uh, at that time there was a scandal in Quebec because all kinds of money was apparently awarded to firms that didn't even apply for it and all this kind of stuff. In Ontario, we had paperwork, uh, paperwork up 
up the yin yang for that program. And what most of the agencies in London said was, you know, the paperwork is so uh, intrusive here and is so expensive, it's not worth it for us to apply for this money uh, because it's just we'll end up spending all the money on paperwork on the staff to hire to fill out the forms and fill out the reports and everything else. And so it's frustrating on both ends that somehow you know they still manage to have these things happen, and yet on the other hand, it causes more and more. Um, lack of inertia. As somebody had said yesterday, it was like a dead hand descending on the government uh, when this stuff happens, because the next guy is going to spend lots and lots more money on butt covering and less money on service I think there's a, there's That's a, an excellent point, and that's exactly what's happening in Ontario right now, even with the political parties and McGuinty's, uh, you know, let's see let's see what the parties are all about and see their funding. That's not Let what they're doing. They're covering it up. Relative to McGuinty, and, and Jeff, I know that you have a little expertise in this area, you have a, uh, uh, in this, a little more expertise certainly than I have in this area. There is a report flying around that uh, OPP officers were arrested in Caledonia by native police. Um, and escorted off the contested uh, ground there, and the report further goes on to, and, and this is why I'm asking you to, if you know anything about this, the, for, the report that several people emailed copies of it to me, um, the report went on to say that Premier McGinty had said that was it was not inappropriate for the uh, natives to have enforced this no-go zone for the OPP. Do you know anything about that story? Well, I know on the weekend, there, I, I don't know about native police being involved, but I know that um, I've read several stories about how on the weekend there were two new cops, I guess, who turned down a road that uh, that the OPP had agreed not to use, and that when they, what I read was that when they drove down the road, they were surrounded by, by uh, protesters, and that they had to back up and leave. Uh, that apparently as a result of that, there, there was a flare-up because the uh, the uh, protesters then sort of called for reinforcements, uh, which caused the townsfolk to call for reinforcements, and it was quite tense and all that stuff. But it started because they drove down a road they weren't supposed to because they were new. Okay, I have to follow up to something you said last week because I've had a lot of comment about this. You made a comment uh, just towards the end of the program, and we didn't have time to follow it up, that you thought that the, the genesis of this problem was some kind of a, a dispute over the ownership of this land. Um, well, we know that that's, that's the ongoing thing is a right. dispute over it. But, but you had alluded to, to some knowledge that, that the Supreme Court or somebody at some point had acknowledged that there was some question about the ownership. And I had a number of people email me and say, this is the first we've heard or read anything about any question about it other than the natives saying it's our land, that there, there didn't seem to be in the media. And I hadn't seen anything either in the media that there is some kind of legal grounds for their concern. It more seemed to be, a you know, well, it's our land and you stole it and we want it back, rather than here are the specifics. Do you know more? But can you tell us anything about that? Well, I guess I've followed uh, I've followed uh, kind of the native occupations closely ever since Ipperwash happened. Um, again, because I love the binary, which is <laughs> where I go camping mm-hmm. every summer, and I've been very interested in it. And also at that time, I was the vice chair of the police board in London, and uh, I recall. Uh, well, being at a soccer tournament, uh, playing with the London Police Service, where a couple of our players were called back because they were on the SWAT team, were called out Dipper Wash. So I've followed it pretty closely since then. And yes, there is, uh, put it this way, that there is a legal process that uh, to follow if somebody believes their land has been taken away. Whether in this case the land was wrongfully taken away or not is something that needs to be determined by a court. Uh, no court has looked at it yet. Part of the reason is because the folks who are protesting and occupying the land don't recognize the courts, so they don't want to go to court. But what what has been frustrating me is that what I've heard from people is that they believe that this judge who's involved down there has somehow ruled on this issue and said, well, if he's issued an injunction kicking him off the land, obviously he doesn't think they have any claim to the land. But in fact, he's never considered that issue. He's not been asked to consider it. Um, and in fact, uh, 
this is something I've really been debating the last week uh, about what this judge has been doing. And uh, on the one hand, it it seems to be being supported by the governments, um, which is good. But what he's doing is really, really uh, an unusual um, activism. Well, let me let me ask you this question though: If I came to your house and sat on your lawn and said, uh, and set up, a, you know, a, a, pulled a trailer on your lawn, and said, "I'm going to stay here because I claim this land. This is my land," right? Um, would the judge not? have not only the right but the expectation to order me off the land at least until my case had been adjudicated. I don't get to sit there until until some we go through some legal process to find out whether I have a right to be there, do I? Well, and let me take it a step further, that if somebody pulls a trailer up onto your yard and says, you know what, I own this land and I leased it to so-and-so and I've heard that they've sold it now to you and it's my land and I'm still entitled to be on it. Um, then the judge is supposed to consider, okay, what do I do with this? And there's all kinds of law about uh, land uh, disputes because there's been lots of them in Canada, and basically they have to decide in the competing interests of the parties until there can be a trial. And uh, there's been no trial at Caledonia so far. So one thing that judges are supposed to avoid doing, though, is issuing injunctions uh, unless there is a um, unless the evidence shows that there will be irreparable harm that cannot be compensated for in damages if the injunction is not granted. Injunctions are supposed to be used very rarely, partly because they're very hard to enforce. They're really messy. As we're seeing. So what's supposed to happen is that if it appears that the plaintiff, the one who goes to court, can get damages if it turns out that they're right and the defendant is wrong, then the judge is not supposed to issue an injunction. And what's happened in Caledonia now is that the province of Ontario has committed to compensate the owner of the land, the two brothers who have the land development company, uh, and they're negotiating as we speak around this. Uh, and in fact, uh, last Thursday, the judge called uh, a bunch of people, including all kinds of non-parties, into his courtroom to explain what was going on down there. And the plaintiffs, in this case the land developers, said, we don't want you doing this. Uh, we're negotiating right now. We think things are going to work out. Please don't butt in. Uh, and the judge said, well, I'm butting in anyway because uh, the citizens seem to be upset. In civil law, judges do not intervene unless asked by one party or the other. And the reason is because civil lawsuits are about resolving disputes between parties. And the role of the judge is to answer legal questions when asked. But if he's not being asked because the parties are engaging in fruitful negotiation, it's extremely unusual for a, a trial judge to intervene. Okay. I want to shift the focus here. Uh, the first thing I heard this morning after the alarm going off was a voice on the radio telling me that the prime minister had made the following quote relative to a headlines in Canadian papers from coast to coast that the alleged terrorist plotters in Toronto, one of them apparently, or one of their goals was to seize hostages at the uh, at the House of Commons, including the Prime Minister, and one of them apparently had indicated that he wanted to be the guy to chop the Prime Minister's head off. This was headlines across the country. But that's not what I heard as I was groggily coming uh, to consciousness. What I heard was the Prime Minister being quoted as saying, I can live with all these threats as long as they don't come from my caucus. Now, subsequent to that, I got some emails from people who were deeply offended, a couple of them deeply offended, that he would be so flippant. Um, my first reaction this morning was, I thought it was kind of an unusual thing for him to say. It did seem to juxtapose uh, a certain sense of humor that he's not given much credit for. With you know what you could say is a fairly serious issue here. I just wanted to get your your take on it, Bob. Did that does that ring true or untrue? Or I think he's telling the truth. I think he's got a bigger fear from the members of his caucus than he does from anybody outside. I mean, in terms of his reputation and remaining prime minister of the country. Yeah. 
Um, I don't think he overly fears. Uh, you can't walk around fearing violence every day just because people are threatening it, because that's that's a condition of the world. And if you go into countries where terrorism is more of a daily thing, people are almost immune to it. Um, and I think it was an okay thing to say. I, I don't think you want to hear your prime minister going into panic mode and saying, oh, we're in danger and this and that. I mean, it's there. The danger's there. But you're not going to be doing yourself a favor by acting like you're in a state of fear. Jeff? And that's an element of leadership, you know, to demonstrate that he's not afraid and that he's confident that he's uh, well protected by our police services. Uh, and again, that people shouldn't panic. Uh, to me, that, that is completely appropriate and, and good for him. Uh, the other aspect of it is that I've heard people accused of being insensitive to uh, some um, tragedy that's occurred to someone else, but I, I've never heard of you being insensitive to something that may have happened to you personally. Uh, so it may it may have struck people as a bit ajar compared to expecting to hear, oh, the world, uh, the country's under control, we've got things battened down and so on. But again, it's a style of leadership that, that I think is an attractive one um, because it does calm the situation. Uh, and uh, it's, I, I guess... When I hear this stuff about beheading and so on, there, there are always vivid details that come out uh, and, uh, in these things, and they're lurid and everything else. Often when you get down to the actual evidence, things are a lot drier than, than uh, at first they appear. One of the things that's always been kind of a oh, concerning can't I guess, is that we seem to lose track of criminal law and the justice system when there's a terrorist, so-called terrorist involved. Uh, but this is a, a crime uh, under the system that I'm trained in. Nobody's guilty of anything until convicted. Uh, I heard the uh, one of the lawyers yesterday saying that there, that he's been given an eight-page summary of, uh, of what the evidence is. He said, you know, I would have thought in a two-year investigation there'd be a lot more evidence than this. And, uh, you know, so I, I don't know that we can accept everything, every leak or rumor that comes out uh, at face value, nor should we go flying off the deep end over it. And, and I assume that the Prime Minister is, is reminding us of that. So I, I good on him. I think that's the right thing Well, to the say. media certainly has, in my estimation, gone off the deep end. Uh, it's just I'm astounded by some, the coverage and many of the things that have been said and written. Uh, given that, uh, they've arrested 17 people, five of them uh, minors, although that doesn't mean you can't cause a lot of trouble. No. Um, but after this long investigation, and this is all we know at this point, that they've they've charged these people. And to, to, to read the newspapers, it's, you know, the uh, Armageddon is at our doorstep here. It's just, yeah, and, that, and that's a big problem, of course, that uh, in in so much of our news nowadays, it's filtered through this kind of loudspeaker that, make, that, that makes it so hard for us to get kind of a sense of, well, what is reality and what do we really need to be concerned about? Is it a surprise that there, are, that there would be some guys who are mad at uh, a Western government over the, the, what's gone on in the Middle East? Of course not. I, you know, I'm just amazed there isn't, you know, more hearing this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, in this case, uh, I guess, as I say, it was a two-year investigation. Obviously, it wasn't an imminent threat, I guess, in the sense that uh, I don't know what stage they were at, but this is something that the police uh, have had their finger on for a long time. So in that sense, it's a good thing, uh, which isn't to say that you should take it lightly at all. But on the other hand, panic is the last thing you want to do. I was interested to hear last night, Faisal Joseph was my guest on the TV program, and Faisal, of course, is a, a leading voice in the Canadian Muslim community, a local lawyer here, partner with uh, with uh, learners. learners, and thank you. And uh, he said something that I haven't seen in any of the media accounts, and, and he was a little perplexed by this too. Apparently, the mosque in Toronto, where these many of these guys attended, had actually contacted the CSIS or the RCMP or whoever a couple of years ago and said, "We've got a few guys in here that are you know saying things that they ought not be saying and that we're not supportive of and so on, and uh, you need to keep an eye on these guys." Uh, any sense, Bob, as to why the media hasn't covered that story? Well, because that's not as interesting a story. Um, good news is no news, and 
all news is bad news, really. I mean, if things are going okay. Uh, it, that seems to me to be the way that they would get information about people like this is from the community itself. And uh, I know there are a lot of people of the Muslim faith that don't share you know, violence, ideas of violence and things like that. Um, and it's certainly not in their interest to leave these people in their community. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even if they're not thinking about us, at least they should be thinking about themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's how we should think about it. It's in their interest to make sure that people like this don't cause the kind of damage that they seem to be threatening to do. But uh, having said that, I still don't think the threat is all that diminished in the sense of, I, I believe you're talking about the media overreacting to... Yeah. Well, they will say they're not overreacting, but to me it's... it's, it's well, it's, yeah, they need things to talk about, but that, that also doesn't mean the threat isn't real. Um, really, I think the reason we haven't had another major attack on North America since 9-11 is basically because we've been giving them everything they want. It's not until things aren't going their way. No, I, I, I don't think, understand what you mean by well, that. Well, we've already, uh, the American dollar has dropped, how far? Because of the money mm -hmm. expended on the war. Um, tr simple things like travel from Canada to the States and even within countries in certain ways has been restricted. We have become less free. You know, it reminds me of the situation in Europe before World War I, and I think most people are not aware of this. You could walk from Moscow to Berlin to Paris and to go to the English Channel. Nobody would ask you for an ID or a passport or anything like that. With each successive war and that was supposedly won in the name of freedom, we've become less free as a, as a global community and, and more, more fearful. And I think uh, we often confuse, um, I guess, security. We equate that with giving up some of our civil liberties and our freedoms when, in fact, we should be thinking the other way around. Because once you give up your civil liberties and freedoms in the name of security, which is kind of where a lot of the talk is leading, uh, you might as well give up the boat now and now, say you lost the who, war. Who was, uh, you will, perhaps one of you will know, there was a, there's a famous quote to the... Benjamin Franklin. Was it Franklin who said those who will trade, uh, what is it, uh, freedom for liberty will end up with neither or I something like that? That's right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And that's very true. Every society that has opted for security over freedom and self self responsibility has eventually bankrupted itself and that's true on a subtle scale too we're talking just about socialism social programs everybody wants to be secure you know and that's but why a, you know, a, you're not secure it's too bad in a way human nature being what it is and i understand that uh people who, who own newspapers need to give you a reason to pick up their newspaper in the morning and uh you know the front part of the newspaper is the grabber and you will see something that will cause you to buy it or not mm -hmm. and uh, as a friend in the newspaper business once said that nobody's going to buy a, a newspaper that hasn't screaming headlines everything's okay <laughs> So. Actually, we might, just to see <laughs> what, what happened yesterday that I didn't hear about. We're going to pause for just a second. Everything's okay here. Left, right, and center with Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz continues on the Jim Chapman News Hour on 94.9 CHRW. Jeff Schlemmer, Bob Metz with us today. Uh, let me, I ask you guys the question that I just did in, in the break there. I've been getting a lot of emails lately from people who telling me that there is no terrorist threat to Canada, that this is all a creation of the Americans, that 9-11 uh, was a creation of the Americans, that the World Trade Center buildings were sabotaged, that aircraft hitting the, hitting the buildings did not have the power and the jet fuel fire was not hot enough, etc., etc., etc. And even a cursory investigation of, of uh, basic physics and engineering uh, will 
reveal, at least it revealed to me, that indeed the airplane hitting the building can bring the building down in exactly the way that it came down. But In fact, that's how they found out that they had to do it that way, because they tried to bring the building down before, and then they held public hearings, and in the public hearings they called in expert witnesses who explained to everyone publicly what it would take to bring down the Trade Center. Yeah, I and so that. everybody takes mm-hmm. in, the, oh, well, it takes that, okay, and mm-hmm. write it down, let's do it, right? I watched a show on the Discovery Channel on that exact topic, and they had these explosive experts in the basement at the World Trade Center saying, now, if you put it here, and if you did this, blah, 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 that would have worked. And, just like, oh, you know, and that's the other thing, too. Like, they ignore complete history. To be able to say that, you've got to either be guilty yourself or be part of the Taliban, as far as I'm concerned. Anybody mm-hmm. can even talk like that. Or just put your blinders on to every event that preceded 9-11. I mean, the buildings could have come down just as easily in 1993 had the bomb they placed then, which was made out of the same material that they just collected Mm -hmm. in Canada, then just moved a few feet one way under the tower because it just didn't hit the right support. But the thing could have brought the whole building down then. And people are forgetting, well, because it didn't bring the building down, well, it was a non-event almost as... Well, you know, I look at this... The same intent, the same everything was there. I look at this, and as I said to you, I've been getting a lot of emails lately from people, and I I, I get the sense that there's a group of people who, you know, are trying to convince me of this because they keep sending me the same information and go to this website and go to that website. Well, what's Uh, in it for them? Well, 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 I guess it's to to me, I have to... Well, it does. It it does, but I think... But there's a, you know, there's a parallel here. I think think of it as a parallel of the Kennedy conspiracy, where many people are still convinced about this and that and the other thing about that, and the debate rages and so on. But this is a debate that has much more serious implications for us. If we are to believe, if, if the, just say hypothetically that these people convinced everybody in the country that there's no threat, and in fact there was one, then that puts us at greater risk. Does it not? I mean, yes, it does. Is there any point sure. at which we stand up and say to these people, this is absolute nonsense, and cut it out? That's why it's so hard to find the balance in, when you read and you see things on TV and stuff and try and figure out what is the truth. What really is going on and what has gone on uh, from so many voices uh, in so many different directions. But you're right that uh, for us to to elect governments that are going to protect us, we need to be informed about these things. And it's so hard to tell. Uh, and the media, uh, the website, uh, the Internet in some ways makes it worse, I suppose, because it, there, it makes it so easy to disseminate information. Uh, Bob, you had mentioned earlier about how, uh, you know, in some respects, you could have no terrorism without the media. If, if terrorist acts by themselves are fairly small events in the scope of the world, of six billion people. If it weren't for a worldwide media that could lay it out for you all over the place, the terrorist act would would not be influential at all. It would yeah, have absolutely. no effect. That's why. Uh, that's why even on other just just daily reporting of car accidents, for example, you almost get the feeling there's this huge uh, avalanche of accidents because mm-hmm. you're hearing about them everywhere. Where mm-hmm. as before, you only heard about your local ones, just mm-hmm. London and district. Now you hear about the accident in Toronto. You hear about the one in Ottawa. You hear about the one in the states. For heaven's sake, you mm-hmm. hear about this one. And and, and it, film at eleven. Too. Right. Yeah, and sure, the, the world is quote shrinking because of <laughs> of media, but that doesn't mean the world has changed its size since since earlier times when they had just as much violence. And so what are you know one of the things that we pride ourselves in this program is to try to give people a little a, a peek inside the working of the media sometimes and and you know deconstructing stories and trying to encourage people to seek the truth. But how do we find the truth in a world where the National Post today the headline is cell planned to behead PM. Well, I mean, you know, this is a, this 17 guys alleged to have done these things. If you went and, ele- and, ar- and arrested 17 members of the Russian mafia or the biker gang, or pick any criminal organization you want and look into some of the threats they may have made against crown attorneys or judges, you'd find, I mean, they're not going to lop their heads off, but you're going to find a lot of uh, pretty inflammatory rhetoric sure. there. That's not on the front page. 
No, that's right. I, I like again. You see that, and it's it's lurid, and may cause people to buy that newspaper. But it really, I don't think, reflects the what's important about the story at all. It certainly doesn't inform you about anything that that is uh, you know surprising. And yet, there will be a whole lot of people for whom this will be the story of the day around the water cooler and at work. Well, that, you just you ask the big question: How do you tell the truth? And you don't tell the truth on a day-to-day assessment of that day's facts. Quote in fact, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, it, you have to look at the big picture, and you can't. You'll always find that conspiracy theorists are overwhelmed with information. There, there is a wonderful. I hate to bring this up. There's a wonderful episode of, I think it's Star Trek Voyager called the Voyager Conspiracy, where seven of nine, who's mm-hmm. sort of she can take in all this information yep. mechanically, yep. takes in so much information that she believes that the captain has sabotaged the ship and placed them in this part of space on purpose, and she has all the evidence and lines it all up and tells it to everybody else. Mm. Then later, she goes to the other guy and, using the same evidence, presents a totally different story based on the same evidence, another conspiracy, right? And, what, of course, what it is is an analogy of how conspiracy theorists start, and they get overwhelmed with information that they cannot assimilate because mm-hmm. a lot of it doesn't match because, basically, their epistemology is a little screwed up. Mm-hmm. They're mismatching categories of things and identities and things like that so that you can't see what's really in front of you. And... So if I were to say, I'm not going to say there's some, quote, mystical truth out there. There isn't. But to arrive at it, you have to be thinking clearly. And you have to think in terms of reality and not, you know, just stories. You've got to compare. And if I hear five stories coming from five different sources that all say the same thing, I'm going to say, well, there's probably some truth to that, you know. But if I hear five stories coming from five different people that say totally different things, I'm going to suspend my judgment. That's the only way I can see arriving at it. It works for me. Gentlemen, the music's playing in the background. That means we have to go. Thanks to both of you for joining us. Always a pleasure. Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz with us uh, each and every Wednesday, or pretty much every Wednesday we can arrange for Left, Right, and Center. We appreciate your comments of support for this part of the program. The guys enjoy coming, and we enjoy having them, and you apparently enjoy listening, and that works out very well for all concerned. We'll be back tomorrow at 11 with the next edition of the News Hour. Hope you can join us then. In the meantime, let's dance. I did say 11th more, didn't I? Yeah, that seems like a reasonable time. It's 94.9 CHRW. And it's Jim Chapman saying, please take care of each other, mind how you go, and God bless. Bye-bye. I'll just...